Welcome to TrackCast, the official podcast of the Real Estate Council from deep in the heart of Dallas, Texas. I'm Bill San Antonio. Thanks for tuning in for another edition of our CRE Executive Roundtable series. On today's show, we're moving on from 2020 and looking toward the future. Our first speaker today is CBRE Vice Chair Jeff Ellerman who forecasts North Texas's corporate relocation market as companies make their post-pandemic plans. And speaking of plans, our second speaker, CEL and Associates CEO Christopher Lee, shares with us what he's learned from the companies he's consulted as they navigate the pandemic and look ahead to 2021. If you're joining us for the first time today, please subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast app to get all new episodes right to your mobile device and follow Trek on social media. And now, here's our latest CRE Executive Roundtable, right here on TrackCast. Well, um, thanks for getting on the call. I mean, we're trying to keep these calls relevant. I'm excited about uh, the people we have to talk to today. Um, Jeff Ellerman is up first, and I, I had called Jeff, and I said, Jeff, it feels to me like, you know, the market's kind of, picking up a little bit after Labor Day where people got back from being out of town on, for the summer. And then, you know, I said, you know, what's going, what's, what's your view of what the, what it looks like going forward, like the vaccine and has that boosted the market? I mean, is this that you're going to turn back on? So Jeff, I'd love it if you just kind of jump on and kind of give everybody your views and then we'll open it up to some questions. So, um, yeah, Bill called me, and um, obviously we've spent lots of our time talking about this great market that we're in, uh, and um, we, we spend a lot, you know, I've, I've, I've been on a number of calls, and I've talked to a bunch of my colleagues across the country and a bunch of our clients, and uh, so I will tell you, as, as you would, if you've, as you've heard and as you would expect, um, we're expecting um, big things out of Dallas. I um, think that is um, not a, uh, I think that's not far-fetched at all. I think that's absolutely going to happen. Um, we're in the very early innings of that. Um, and, uh, you know, I think, we, you know, we're seeing, you know, I, I, someone used the word green shoots the other day. I think that's, that's a good description that we're seeing some green shoots. Um, we've got some people that we're talking to that are both already here that are looking to expand their presence here and that are not here yet, but are looking hard at Dallas and, um, they're making trips here. They're bringing executive teams here. And so I think we're very early stage. You know, if you think about it, I mean, no one's really back in the office yet. And so the first order of business is to bring people back to the office and then the next order of business is to figure out long-term uh, what their space envelope is going to look like and where they're going to move. And so um, I think Dallas is going to be a huge winner for all the reasons everybody knows about. Um, and, you know, I think that, you know, yeah, it's the, they're, they're going to be relocations and, and those are certainly newsworthy. Um, but more importantly, um, and, and, you know, I know Steve's on the phone. Um, there's going to be, you know, things that happen like what happened with State Farm, where they had 
50 locations, and they said, you know, we're going to have three giant hubs. Um, it's easier to manage. It's easier to recruit. Our costs are lower for, you know, for all of those reasons. And so I think that you're going to have some big employers, and, and Dallas is going to be on everyone's short list, and we're going to make our share of those deals where companies are going to continue to move here and expand. Um, that's the good news. Um, you know, the, 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 the news that's unclear um, is what's the space envelope going to look like in the future. And, you know, we've all seen um, whole, wholesale changes. I mean, there are some companies that just say, we're going to sublease all of our space and we're going to work remotely permanently. And, you know, to me, that's a knee-jerk reaction. And I'm a, I'm a homer for the office business. Um, that's our business. And, and you're not, you, you know, you know, you're never going to convince me that, that if for a professional organization, that they're not better served from all the things you know about culture, collaboration, productivity, stickiness of an organization. Um, you know, I, I, uh, I think it was Steve Van Amber that told me, and I think this is exactly true that, you know, at State Farm, for every one employee that they, they lose, it costs them a year of salary and bonus to replace them. And so those churn costs, if there's no stickiness, if there's no loyalty to an organization, it's unbelievably expensive. It makes the cost of office space, you know, de minimis. And so um, I think companies are going to realize, I mean, I, I think companies are giving employees a very you know, long rope to, to say, and, and, you know, until you feel safe, you know, you can office from home. But I think that once we have a vaccine and once it's back to normal, then people are going to be, you know, almost required to be back in the office, maybe not full time, five days a week, every day, but at least a good portion of the time. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, I guess to that end, you know, I, I think that, most everybody, you know, we, we go through our deals in the market, you know, every month, like most every big, big, big company does, big, big uh, brokerage company does. And, you know, it's depressing. I mean, you know, you have four pages of deals in the market and 80% of them are on hold. But, you know, I mean, listen, our business is a business where people aren't going to sign 10, 15 year leases unless they're confident in the future of their business. And provided they don't have to transact because um, they've got time or, or, or whatever, I mean, they're gonna, they're gonna wait until they have clarity. And that makes perfect sense. And this period, it's, it's not unlike 2008 and nine, where, I mean, people had deer in the headlights and they, they weren't gonna do anything until they had clarity. But once, once, once that financial crisis was over, we had a hell of a role for 10 years. And I think that's going to continue. I really do. I, I'm very bullish on the office. I think the, the space envelope may change. Companies are going to, you know, have more open plan, open seating, open address. You know, they're going to, the, the space envelope may shrink a little bit. I mean, by a little bit, I mean, in some case, you know, you know overall, it's probably maybe down. I don't know, 10 to 20%, but we can live with that. 
Um, the um, and, and and the other the other thing that I think is uh, interesting is, you know, if if you think about Dallas as being a 300 million foot office market, it's a huge office market, 300 million feet, and you know we we probably have 75 to 100 million feet of back office space, you know, of mortgage servicing, of operation centers, call centers, you know, corporate back office, which is, which is not client facing. Um, and so I think that, and, and, and those margins in those businesses are a lot smaller. And so companies are going to, I think, look at some of that space. I mean, that space could be vulnerable to, you know, people putting space on the market for sublease and, and so forth. You know, we're, we're, we're seeing that already. Um, you know, there are, you know, there've been some recent announcements um, of some large blocks coming on the market. Um, and I think that could, um, that could hurt the commodity space market uh, a little bit. Um, the, the other, the other thing I'll say is, you know, there's going to be, you know, there's going to be winners and losers in this, you know, in the past, you know, the winners and losers were your, you had buildings that could accommodate a higher parking ratio and those that couldn't. And if you could not do four or five per thousand, you were a have not, and you were, you know, in trouble and, and your, your ability to transact and make leases was limited to a smaller number of, of people that didn't need a high parking ratio. Today, that um, is even more so in that you're gonna have your buildings that are gonna be the haves versus the have-nots. And the haves are the ones that have invested in their buildings. It, you know, you walk in, you know there's a plan for safety, you feel safe, there's, there's uh, station, you know, there's sanitization, Stations everywhere. There's a there's a plan for elevatoring and all that. I have been on a number of tours, and it's it's clear as day that buildings that have may have a plan have spent the money. You feel safe going in there, and the ones that haven't, and the ones that haven't, are gonna are gonna be in real trouble. Jeff, do you think the day of five and six and seven per thousand is over, or do you think? we eventually morph back to that? Yeah, that's, that's a good question. Um, you know, in the short term, we have not seen anybody spend capital on FF&E, on reconfiguring FF&E. I mean, we haven't done it. I, I haven't seen anybody do it. They're, they're, they're just saying, you know, in order to get around the six foot, you know, um, safety zone, we're just gonna have people come in, you know, even odd or, you know, every week, you know, you know, every other week or some, something like that. Um, and so people are not spending capital on ff and &E. I think that if you talk to Corgan or Gensler, you know, and, and, and see what they've done, I mean, they, they have certainly have an office of the future and that includes, um, uh, you know, m much more generous densi densities of employees, much more collaboration areas, all kinds of different kinds of spaces. I think that it will likely be a hybrid of those two. I think there are companies that are that are going to be, you know, go back to the way they were um, once the once the vaccine hits and the pandemic is gone. 
and I think you'll have those that are going to be um, less dense. Um, I don't, I don't think that's clear cut. And do you, do you have, like when you have some of these big users come into market and you've got big blocks like Liberty Mutual up in Legacy, where you've got 200,000, 300,000 feet, does a, does a user that's coming to town of that size even consider a sublease? Or are they gonna wanna go to their own option where they can get it designed or a new building? Yeah, that's a good question. So I think that um, most large companies um, are going to want a direct relationship with the landlord. And, and I think subleasing is very, it, it might be cheap and it might be, you know, um, plug and play, but it's got relationship problems between subtenant and landlord that are not easily solved. And now there are ways around it, but most tenants are going, most big national corporate tenants are going to want to avoid a sublease and go direct if they can. And if you were guessing, or if you were going to put a timing, I'm kind of thinking it's like a year from now, you know, because that's just based on the vaccine and kind of what I'm seeing. It kind of feels like we got to get through some of this subway space, you know, locally, because development ain't going to start until that gets absorbed. I mean, do you kind of feel like the market turns on mid next year, or end of next year, or when do you think? If you were Houdini, who would you say? I think that, um, it's going to be a lot, lot like 2009 and 10, where there's a lot of pent-up demand. And so the stuff that's been kicking the can um, because they could, you know, now they're running out of time. And so, you know, let's just say that you're 200,000 feet and you start the process two years ahead of time and your lease is up in 22, well, you better be transacting by mid-21. And, um, and so I think there's going to be a lot of pent-up demand on the stuff that's been in the market for a while that's going to need to transact and that will transact. I think we're going to see a bunch of inbound. You know, I talked talk to Mike Rosa a number of times recently for, for, for different reasons, um, and they're seeing the inbound activity that they're seeing is just unbelievable. And, um, and so a lot of that's, you know, kicking the, I mean, a lot of that is we're one of a number of cities. A lot of that's, you know, we're, uh, you know, we're, we're being used as leverage against existing city. I mean, a lot of that won't happen, but some of it will. And, um, and then once, you know, those, these announcements start being made, then I think that that builds, I mean, I, I I'm very optimistic that Dallas is going to get a number of jobs and companies and and even relocations i just think it's going to take a while and, and uh, i'm going to ask one last question then i'll open it up to the group what about plate size do you see plate sizes changing any you know in a in like for a big user i mean typically we've had these massive floor plates do you see any of that changing or just how you use the envelope um I don't see the big plate uh, sizes changing. Yeah. I see the, the envelope changing and right. it's going to be different for different companies. And it, I think a lot of that 
is just it's just unclear right now. I don't think anybody really knows because it's it's because it's the ultimate, you know, it's the ultimate, you know, everyone everyone's situation is different. And but I do think I do think employers are gonna are gonna realize the need. I mean, if you, if you're a if you're a professional and you're young in the business and you want to you you have career plans and ambitions and you want to get you know advanced in the organization and mentored and you want to be in the room when stuff's happening you can't do all that stuff on zoom calls you just can't right. and so i believe the office is going to come back you know for professionals i think the office will be back to where it was before i mean very little change um right y'all still have me here yes okay, there you got you. yeah all right um now, for the back office commodity space, I, it's, I'm less clear on, on how that plays out. Yeah. You know, because one thing as a developer, you're, like I'm, we're trying to figure out, you know, bigger elevators. I mean, access between floors where they don't have to get on an elevator. You know, maybe expanding stairwells between floors. I, it kind of feels like it did in early 07, 8, 9 where everybody was loading up amenities now it's just the opposite not the opposite but it's just a, a different kind of an issue where we're trying to figure out you know what it, what do we have to provide in a new building that gives people comfort where they feel like they're you safe? know you know you know so think about this so you know if you're using public transportation and you're you know in new york or one of the other bigger cities that that is really a central business district is where most of the office market is. That's different. Right. I mean, we're 300 million feet and 45 million feet of it is downtown or, you know, well, we mean 10% of it's actually in high rises. It, you know, you know, the rest of it's uptown and so forth. And so coming into a mid rise building, even a, even Brownwell Crow center or chase tower or Thanksgiving tower. I mean, it's, it's no big deal. I mean, it just isn't, uh, and we don't use a tremendous amount of public transportation here. And so, I mean, I don't see, I mean, I, there, I have no qualms whatsoever coming to the office. I mean, it's, I mean, I, you're, I, I mean, I'm safer in the office than I am anywhere else. Right. And so, so I don't see that being a huge problem, especially when this pandemic is over. I just, I just don't. I, I just think that, you know, I've heard a lot of so the suburban markets are gonna be expanding. I mean, we're already expanded. I mean, we, you know, we're already a huge suburban market. I don't see that changing a whole lot. Okay, anybody have any questions for Jeff? Wow, that was a good job. I got one <laughs> comment though, and it, uh, back in uh, Colin's on, uh, Colin unmute so you can make a comment. Uh, there you Sorry. go. Um, Colin was responsible for leading the charge and making a 1.1 million square foot lease with Liberty Mutual. <clears throat> and the most important thing for them was blowing up all of their back office facilities, moving out of them and bringing everybody, as they called it, home, where all of those three and four and 5,000 employees had a chance to really uh, envision their career path. And they actually 
were shown positions that they could move into over a period of time hmm. and not leaving the company. And as a result, uh, the garage has no reserve parking and there's three escalators that move employees out of the Liberty Mutual garage into what I would call the arcade. And it's where any uh, lower experienced employee has a chance to have a collision with an executive where he can shake his hand and he can actually ask him to be mentored and he also can actually you know, envision how he can work with the company and, and actually have a career. What Jeff said is so true. <clears throat> Why would Liberty Mutual study, think with the help of a lot of consultants churn and um you know uh <clears throat> not coming back to the office when they just spent you know trillions of dollars <clears throat> building a really great facility to allow everybody to, to actually come back state farms exactly the same way i just think it's going to take a while to get them reloaded based right. on where they are today colin you you saw it first firsthand no, I agree. I mean, I think even more like what Jeff said before, young people, you know, going to need to be mentored, trained, absorb the culture. There's no way to do that online. And there, there's going to be this need to, I think there's going to be pent up demand for that type of uh, dynamic as soon as people feel safer. So I think there's my, I think there's going to be more of stuff like Liberty Mutual and State Farm, as y'all talked about in the future. You know, I, I think, go ahead. Have no, no, no. Well, I, my only question was speaking of insurance and, and whatnot, Jeff, do you have a guess on which industry might lead the charge? Uh, if, if we do feel this way, then I guess my, my editorial to that <coughs> question is access COVID. I would have expected one or two more Ubers uh, to come to Dallas this year in the technology space. You know, we, we just missed out on Lowe's. We did land Uber, Uber last year, and I thought that was kind of the beginning of perhaps a little bit of a tech boomlet. Uh, those groups seem to be the most aggressive in telling people to stay home until 2024. But just curious on uh, what you thought from an industry perspective who might lead the charge back to Dallas or Texas or Texas. I think financial services are going to be a big driver here. And I, I, yeah. I, I, no, I think the technology companies, you know, I mean, you know, I mean, you all seen the announcements. I mean, a lot of them aren't coming back until, you know, mid next year. Um, a lot of, so there, there's a lot of companies that have, have recently, you know, built out space like Uber. Well, I mean, they don't need any space in Dallas for a long time because they haven't, I mean, they haven't filled the space that they got. So there's a lot of absorption that has to happen um, within these companies and, you know, employing, you know, bringing the people on, employing and so forth before there's expansion. And that's kind of, if you're a corporate real estate executive and you're looking at your portfolio and where your people are and where you're hiring and all that stuff. You got a lot of space that needs to fill 
before you're going to be expanding or going somewhere else. Um, and then you also have the aspect of existing leases. And so a lot of this stuff just doesn't happen. Well, we had a pandemic and therefore we're going to move to Dallas. I mean, you got to wait for leases to roll and, you know, decisions be made of we're going to move this group or that group. That stuff just takes time. Hey, Jeff, uh, this is Ray Washburn. Just, I don't know if this is a question or observation, but I went and toured a 12-story early 80s era office building in the suburbs yesterday to buy. And I haven't toured an 80s era office building apparently in a long time. I was just shocked at, I mean, are those things just totally obsolete? If you're a company relocating in, you're not going to go in those old buildings, I don't think. I mean, just the size of the elevators and the, the bathrooms and the whole thing. I, I was just, and it's going to cost just as much to retenant that it is, is to build a brand new building, I think, and occupy something like that. So, I mean, I, I walked out of there just kind of, I guess I hadn't toured one in so long to try to buy. That's more Collie and Mike Avalon's world, but it was just shocking to think, you know, how much of our inventory is just absolutely obsolete. Yeah, that, that's, that's a, when I was talking about the haves versus the have-nots, that's exactly what I'm talking about. And, you know, if you're, you know, if you're a company and you are, you are competing for talent and recruiting and retention is very important, the HR department's involved in every decision on a big company, the cost of real estate is not the driver. It's the recruiting and retention and where can we be most productive and, and all that. And so if you're looking at a rent differential of, you know, 25 or 30% in, in a lot of cases, sometimes it's, I mean, in downtown, in the core of downtown versus uptown, it's triple. You know, I mean, why are, why are the law firms and, and, and the accounting firms and the professional services, I mean, why are they paying three times as much money to be in uptown as they could be in the core downtown. Well, the reason they're doing that is, is because that's where they feel like they have to be in order to compete for talent and, and, and be moving forward instead of moving backward as an organization. So to your point, I think a lot of this, um, I mean, I hate to be so black and white about it, but I do, I do agree with you that I do think that some of this 80s space that is dated, has not been reinvested in, it's just going to sit there for a long time. I agree with you. Yeah, I think commodity real estate is in peril. Like I agree with you. I mean, well, this last cycle, it's been more that way than, than ever. Anybody else? Any other questions of Jeff? Nice job. Jeffrey, I really appreciate you, you doing this. I appreciate you being on. Thank you. It was very yeah, informative. Jeff. Thank you, Good. Jeff. Really appreciate Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. All right. Chris, Chris Lee's up. Chris is an advisor to real estate firms and he's probably done a lot of consulting work for some of the people on this call. And, um, you know, Chris Juan, I appreciate you being on. I know you're on the West coast, so we got you up early, probably not early for you, but for most of us. So what are the biggest challenges facing real estate CEOs and board of directors today? What are your people telling you? Uh, thank you, Bill. I think, um, let me, before I answer that question, kind of preface things that I, I don't think we're ever going to get back to normal. I think the new normal is being defined. So to think that things are just going to go back the way they were 
I, I don't think that's going to happen. I also don't think that, I think we got to 2030 almost 10 years earlier. So I think that this pandemic accelerated a lot of things that happened. Um, probably one of the what biggest- What do you mean by that? What do you mean by that? We got to 2030 the, earlier. The use of technology, uh, okay. the working remotely, uh, new consumerism, e-commerce. We can go down the list of things that are there that just redefine how things are. But when I say that some of the biggest challenges, one of the biggest ones is we need to shed the old ways of looking at our business and how we look at our assets. An example of that, just in our, this last conversation, um, financial services. Uh, if you look at the studies that have just happened with uh, McKinsey just came out with a couple of them and some others have done as well, 95% of financial services companies um, are looking at accelerating automation, 95%. Uh, 67% of, of companies are also, of all corporations, are looking how they can accelerate the use of artificial intelligence. You know, the, the use of technology, the use of automation, the use of artificial intelligence, that's a redefinition. I don't care how you want to look at it six ways to Sunday. That is what I said. We've got to shed sometimes the old way of thinking and make sure we haven't you know, anchored in the past when the fat, when the food is accelerating at a rapid pace. So I think one of the biggest challenges, of course, is not to continue to use old assumptions as if we'll just get back to the way we were. It's just very, very different. Um, and so I think that's one of the biggest ones. The, the second one, I think, that is a, a big challenge, and, and we see this in many, many, the many, many assignments we're doing all over the country, um, is what is going to be our post-COVID vision you know, what are we going to do going forward? What's our growth strategy in this post-COVID world? Um, that's a big question I get you know, almost daily uh, from companies all over the country, all over the world. Um, I think finding a secure source of capital for growth, um, I think that's a big deal. It's not only that, but you're also seeing a lot more entity deals, co-entity deals, new co, new, new co's being formed with capital partners, new initiatives being structured. This is all about having capital for growth and a way in which you can also accelerate that growth and take kind of a step ahead of your competitors. Um, I think another one is the CEOs I hear again constantly is how do I balance talent and technology? You know, I, I appreciate the comments and we need to bring in young people. They need to, uh, you know, get into the culture and get the feeling and be mentored and all of that. At the same way, you know, the cost of labor, the cost per square foot, the, cost of occupancy, all those things are a cost factor. And companies are trying to balance that use of technology as well as talent in that way. Well, the other one I see too is um, the shedding of non-core assets. Um, people are looking at their assets and that means clients, non-core assets, clients, lines of business. If it's not core, then we need to get rid of it. Let's focus on what we do really, really well. Um, <laughs> probably one of the, the more anecdotal things I hear a lot as well um, is that we need to figure out how well this working remotely has been or it not been. Everyone kind of said, you know, we did a great job in the first 30 days, 60 days, maybe even 90 days, but now productivity has kind of, you know, gone to the sidelines. I'm worried about how people connect and interact, the things that Jeff was just talking about earlier. Um, and so I think people are trying to figure out that balance between who is who are core workers working? You know, need to come in the office regularly, and who who does not have to come in? What can I automate? What can I not automate? Do I have different shifts? 
you know, how do I work all that? It's just figuring out that secret sauce of that. You know, that, I don't see how productivity can be the same working from home. Now, maybe a, <clears throat> you're in an accounting group <clears throat> that doesn't need to interface with anybody. I, I get that working from home, but every time I take a ride during the day or I'm in my car running to, to a meeting, I see eight people on a bike. I go, that's, that's people working from home. That's, you know, I, I, I don't think productivity can be the same. But, but, I mean, but Bill, but Bill, you, you're, you're speaking like a boomer. Um, and, and, and you're, you're, you're not in the mindset of the Gen Z's and, and some of the millennials. That's just the way they, they, they behave. That's the way I said, we've got to shed the old way of thinking. We have a generational conflicts occurring across the board in companies and they're trying to balance the boomer mentality with the Gen Z mentality. And we, and you have the Gen Y's the millennials and, and so all, and, and, the, and the Xers in there. So all of that is, is that generational conflict. Let me just answer the last thing on your first question here was, I think the other one is that COVID has really raised the issue of succession and sustained governance. Um, and people are saying, you know what? I need to prepare for the unexpected. And a lot of people were not prepared necessarily, but we must, this year we probably did 50, 75 succession plans. Um, and, and these are things that they were never done before. Everyone thinks they're immortal. They're gonna go on forever. Um, but I think those things have been really big. So those are some of the big challenges I see coming forward here. So what about, yeah, go ahead. Let me get a question. Chris, when you talked about automation and financial services, what, yeah. what what are we talking about? What kind of jobs get automated and presumably eliminated? A lot of the process work, accounting work, paper processing, um, anything that deals with a more, uh, that can be replaced by a machine. I mean, it, it, is, it is much more the lower level, not the higher level positions, but it's much more the, the uh, um, again, accounting is a big issue of that. Uh, the, and that is, is part of that. I mean, that's all of that, just processing data. Process. Is that call centers too with AI call centers? Um, I think call centers are going to have, uh, they're a little different because they're trying to have a connectivity a little bit with a customer um, versus something that's just a back office like an insurance company or a financial institution, a bank. You know, there's many of those positions, as you know, can be eliminated. You don't need to have an interaction with a teller every time you put a deposit in or every time you want to take money withdrawal. Um, but the companies are looking at that and, and, um, you know, one of the things that we have several assignments right now with some of the global firms in the world, you know, the big global firms, and they're asking a question about what do we look like in 2030? So they're taking a real hard look. These are real estate firms, the big, big companies. And we're taking a look at those things because they believe as well, we can't assume that every job that we have today is going to be there tomorrow. And so how do we prepare for that use of that blending between talent and technology, those two things together. You need leadership, you need innovation, you need creativity, you need uh, relationship building and all that kind of stuff. Machines can't do that kind of stuff. But we also know that we wanna be highly productive and utilize our talent in the best way we can, not having them do mechanical things that we could easily process with a machine or something else. And that's what they're exploring. They're exciting things. There are right now, uh, close to 50 different transformative events that are happening simultaneously today in real estate, 50 of them. Um, and so when you look at all 50 of them, it has a massive impact on development, on finance, 
uh, management, uh, everything, just, you know, all there. And each one of those is an impact. And that's what people have to look at. That's why I say we're not going back to the old normal. It's not happening. So if you're going to look out at 2030, what would your top five predictions be there? I mean, have you covered them or, I mean, what would you say? Um, I think women are going to be, these aren't my top five in order, but I think women right now will comprise easily 25 to close to 30% of C-suites. Um, if you take a look at that right now in real estate, women are comprised 9% of the C-suites in real estate. Most of the other industries in the world uh, and in the U.S. are 25 to 35% women in C-suites. Um, so I think we're going to see a lot of acceleration. They are close to 58 to 60% of the college enrollees are women. Um, and, and men are, you know, 30, 40%, 42%. You're just, we're going to see more women, uh, that's for sure. Um, I think that you're also going to see um, uh, a big merger probably happening. I'll give you two mergers. One will happen, I, and Jeff, don't have a heart attack here. Um, but I do see that uh, big, big data, um, and I would not be surprised to see Google acquire a CBRE, a JLL, uh, a Cushman, uh, or others. There is a battle for big, for big tech and big data right now, and who's going to control that. And I think that merger will, will happen over the next several years or something of that nature. I also see that that's going to happen between um, the major hospitality firms and uh, the major um, multifamily. So Brian don't have a heart attack. Um, but you know, if I can stay at a, if I can stay in an apartment and get a Marriott reward point at the same time, why wouldn't I do that? Uh, why would I not take advantage of that? And I think you're going to see the blending of hospitality and residential begin to come to weld. These are things that are being discussed. These are not wild ideas. Uh, I've been in board meetings and things where these kind of concepts are being developed. And um, so I just think we have to be, you know, not uh, unaware that those things might ha might happen here. Um, you know the the uh, I, I, the use of technology. My gosh, everything that you, we talked about here—the digital chips, you know, digital chips for tenants, digital chips for residents—you um, know, all that stuff will 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 automate so many things that happen here, um, and how they get into the elevators, how they how they go into the room, what kind of lights are there, what kind of amenities are in there, what kind of features are in there, um, all that kind of stuff goes on here. And so, I just think those things change. But the one thing. I've learned over the many years is, uh, I, I, and we talked about just briefly when you and I were on the call at the beginning, um, if you take a look at Maslow uh, and uh, look at the basic elements of what, what drives real estate today, it's going to be food, shelter, and wellness. Uh, I'm a big believer that, um, you know, grocery is going to, you know, all the food distribution channels will do very well. I think shelter, which is multifamily um, at the core, is very, very well. I think healthcare will do very, very well. Um, and uh, I, I do think those things are the basic elements of human existence, no matter what kind of recession you have, what kind of downturn you have. Food, shelter, and wellness have always outperformed. They outperformed this, in this pandemic, absolutely outperformed. Um, and so, you know, but like in retail, I, our projection is right now, we're gonna see 250,000 bankruptcies between now and the end of uh, 2025. Um, this year will be over 25,000. Um, and so I just think in the, the, it, it's a recasting of what goes on right now, um, but I, I think it, things are changing. That's what I want to encourage everybody on the call here is that uh, you just got to step out of what you're currently doing and just ask the question, what about tomorrow? And that is the, you know, you, you can make your choices you want, but if you don't ask the question, you'll never know what you missed. 
And so do you think like access to retail, non-food related retail is, is, is not going to be that big of a driver for an office tenant today going forward? What do you mean? Right? Like a mixed use? Yeah. Um, I think, well, <laughs> I think we, we have, first of all, we have twice as much or not twice, but let's get close to twice as much, um, you know, 60, 70% at least uh, square footage, retail square footage, but then any other country in the world. Um, and so we, 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 we have more square footage and we have a lot of very small businesses running, running uh, in that retail space. Um, and so it becomes highly vulnerable to a world in which technology, um, we're, we think that last mile delivery, you know, the last mile is an you know, incredible opportunity for real estate as an example, but it's very, very expensive. So I see retail a little bit, um, but it's got to be the kind of service you can't, I bet you I've been in 50 meetings in you know, this last year. Everyone said, oh, I'm going to get a Whole Foods. And my, I'm going to put a Whole Foods below. I'm up my apartments up above. You know, how many freaking Whole Foods are we going to do? You know, it just, <laughs> it just doesn't happen. Um, so everybody's got this sort of, you know, think that they're going to have Whole Foods down there uh, or a microbrewery. And, uh, you know, it just doesn't happen. So you talk about Gen X and, and technology and all a lot of us have co-working space in a lot of our buildings. I mean, do you, do you see that, especially with the enterprise deal where the big corporations do swing space and co-working? Is that? Yeah, I, I, I like, let me tell you that, um, you know, again, um, um, if you take a look at the statistics, we are moving to a freelance employment base. I think you're going to see that accelerating. Uh, the number of freelancers, independent contractors, leased employees, contractual employees, project employees, and I think they will use that space. I think we'll have a lot more fungible space where clients, you know, they say, we got an initiative, we need to bring in 10 people and they'll just use that space, but they don't need to lease a space for five years or 10 years when they're moving these project teams around. So I like that, that space in terms of that, but the freelance economy is moving very, very quickly. Um, and we're gonna have, it, 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 some estimates has been as high as 40% of the workforce um, will be freelancers. Um, and uh, again, you look at the things where that's a cost of, just look at the cost of employee and you are the, the you know, the, the turnover cost, you know, for one employee, the, the, the space cost for one employee, the parking cost, you just go down the list of things. Freelancing is, is going to be something accelerating. The, clearly the, the um, millennials have embraced that big time. The Z's are embracing that big time. And uh, I think, so, I think it's going to be, Ray, a, a continued opportunity. Um, it just has to be done in a, in a, in the, you know, the right way. You, you just can't open up a door and say it's going to work. Right? But I, I, I think that's going to be much more. But you have to have that flexibility, that flexible space. I, I wouldn't be surprised in the office space right now. This will, you know, this will get Bill will have a heart attack. But I, I wouldn't be surprised to see smaller tenants and, and, and we see percentage leases where people are actually sharing it like they do in retail. And, you know, for smaller tenants, they'll, they'll, pay a, they'll pay a fee and then you'll share just like retail and, and some of the upside, you know, like a percentage lease. Um, so I, I think things are changing and we hear that all over the place and people are looking at different models. And um, that's why I, I, I'm encouraging everybody on the call here. You just got to be a little bit less anchored in the past and really look a little bit toward the future. And I think in that case, you can always make your choices, but you got to think, what could it could have happened or it might happen, you know? So you think working from home is here to stay in a big way? Uh, if you look at, again, all of the statistics that have happened here, 
and our analysis shows that probably up to 30 to 35% of the workforce will be working remotely. I think we'll see them return back to work. But as I said earlier, the Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Tuesday, Thursday, some will work full-time, it'll be green days, blue days, you know, all these different things. I think from an office perspective, why would I pay rent? I mean, uh, why would I pay a lease rate on a space that occupies only occupied from eight to five every day or eight to six? So they're going to have shifts that come in at nighttime and they're going to expect the billing owners to supply the services rendering because why would I have that? I can have a group that comes in at four o'clock in the afternoon, works till 10 o'clock at night, you know, and I can have a group that comes in at seven in the morning and leaves at three, you know. Yeah, um, but, you know, I'm good with that because they're still taking space that they need there for that employee. And if you're if that's true, then parking ratios are going to go down because if you're staggering your workforce, you don't have to build those six per thousand garages anymore. Yeah, yeah, but you're not going to be, but you won't be leasing twice as much space because you're using you're using half as much. You know, one space is being used at this shift, another space yeah. using at that shift. Yeah. So yeah. you, that's what I call about that that future. And 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 if you look at again, and all the statistics will show you that corporations are trying to figure out how that all works, the balancing between technology, workforce integration, um, and where that all leads. And so. That's why I said we're not returning to the old normal. We're, we are redefining the normal as we go forward here. And, um, and that's a big deal. Um, and, that's, and we're saying all these things now in, in light of we still have a, you know, a, a political change going on here. And so all those things, tax law changes, how is real estate affected? Uh, will they do something with carried interest? Will they do something with capital gains? Will they do something you know, with the uh, uh, you know, uh, real estate as, as a less advantageous? Um, we've heard things about green leases. We've heard things about escrowing fees for buildings that are uh, not green compliant. We'll have to pay a reserve an account so they can convert the building into a, a green, green standard, a government standard. These are things that are being discussed and debated back in DC. And I, uh, so we just got to be aware that you know, if you're going to be survivor in the 2030s, you've got to be contemporary both today and tomorrow. You cannot just assume that yesterday is going to happen again tomorrow. It's not, it's not going to work. Okay, anybody have any questions? You, one thing you mentioned earlier was on hospitality, and I think I know this is more of an office group, but on the convention business and things like that, the travel, I mean, from y'all studies, do you think that gets back to the norm of, you know, the no. big ICF conventions in Vegas and the home builder convention in Dallas and things? Okay, well, first of all, ICS was one big drunk in Las Vegas every year, so that wasn't a... <laughs> That's why you went. <laughs> That's why you go. I don't, I wouldn't call that a, What's you know, wrong with that? Exactly. But, you know, I just did, I'm vice chair of one of the consuls here at ULI and, you know, and that last ULI would work really well for us. You know, all of those things went well. I think there's going to be a blending, Ray. I think that but it's not going to again get back to normal. There are people that say, you know what, I can have my whole team attend ULI. They don't have to fly to a city to attend ULI. So maybe three or four people will go to ULI and four or five people will be back in the office attending, you know, virtually. And they can still hear the same speeches. They can still hear the same things, but not have to be there. So that's what the integration is occurring uh, along that way. And hospitality, <clears throat> look at hospitality is also going to become a place where people can work. Um, people can, you, you go to a Marriott, they have, you know, they have the little enclaves. You can go there, you can have a meeting, you can, uh, you know, uh, and, and why go to the office? You can have a meeting right there. I think hospitality will try to take some of that office space for the, you know, the casual meetings that you normally would have had in your building, you know, so I think there's just that blending going on right now that's, that's happening, but it's, it's going to be a while. 
Hey, Bill, quick question. Um, I was on mute. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. Yeah. Great. Uh, future Google employee, apparently. Uh, this is Trey from JLL. Um, I have a question. I want to go back to a productivity question. You were talking about the Gen Zs and millennials, and Bill used the riding the bike during the middle of the day example, which I, I'm not a boomer, but I certainly appreciate that context. Are, are, we, are we to think and believe that that level of flexibility engenders the same level of productivity, or is this just simply that the Gen Zs and, Gen and millennials aren't going to be as productive than the, and happy to be less productive? Um, that, that, that is the question that's being debated because one could argue that a combination of a millennial with technology could be as productive as a boomer without technology 10, 15 years ago. You know, it's, a, it's like that trade-off, right? Um, but I do think that they have grown up using technology uh, as a means for getting what they, where they are today. So they're very comfortable in that space. Um, but I do think the issue of productivity is the concern and it has not been answered yet, but there are people that clearly are uh, concerned about it at all corporate levels. Um, and uh, that's why this is being filtered out. So I don't know the, the full answer to that, um, but I do think if you look at it, majority of people miss 65% roughly, miss going to an office. They miss having the chance to interact with their friends. They don't wanna be sitting home with a dog, two kids, a husband or a wife, you know, all that crap going on, the noise there, they want to get back and hang out. So it, how does that get blended together? And that's why I think even in the, on the millennials, they're going to want to have that chance for interaction. So that's why I think it's a balance. Yeah, I, I would counter a millennial with technology in an office trumps a millennial with technology on a bike. So I guess it's all a level of productivity and, and, and how, how they get there. So Yeah, I guarantee you when, when, Bill, when Bill was starting, he didn't have a cell phone in his pocket when he was bike riding around. So, um, you know, th that's the difference between you know, Bill and a millennial. And I, and I encourage him to, you know, hang out at a, at a rave concert or something and figure out what's really going on. Oh my God, that looks, that would be like getting a root canal. <laughs> <clears throat> but you know, one of the things that I miss, like, cause we had worked from home for a while. We got back to our office in June is the collaboration. I mean, like I would be looking for somebody on my team and after the fifth phone call to get him, he'd call me back. I was on the phone. I'd call him back, back and forth. I forgot what the hell I wanted. You know, I, I just think people want to be together. I, and so I, I hope think, that one you're, you're wrong about. But. No, 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 no. I didn't say that. I said that people do want to be together. I don't yeah. think it's 100% going back to the office. No, that I, was, yeah. That was my point. Um, listen, our, our daughter works for the University of California. And uh, they are not, they're all working remotely through June of next year in oh. California. Um, and they, she has meetings, they have all these, everything goes on. They haven't missed a beat relative to that. But is it, the, is it most productive? Is it most, is it really getting the best out of the best? You know, I'm not sure. Um, you know, it's killing the people that sell pants because these people are sitting at home in their underwear on Zoom calls. The pants business is in peril. I, yep. All right. I'm Chris, <laughs> hey, Chris, okay. I, Chris, I got a quick follow-up. It's not as entertaining as the pants discussion. I um, know. He's, he, it's gone downhill. Let's go on the call here. So um, Jeff did a really good job of um, articulating some thoughts of trends or acceleration of trends within the office 
building and within the office, as he called it, the envelope, the individual and then the, the building. And you've talked about that too. If you would for a second, can you talk about outside the property lines? And by that, I mean, um, for a while, a lot of the largest drivers of office space were outside the property lines of the real estate, not necessarily the, the, the massive campus, which brought the outside inside, but the rest of the world that was a building in a fabric of a city. Can you talk about how you see that interaction being the same or changing? And by that, I mean, um, a lot of the value of real estate wasn't the building. It was the location and the walkability, that new word that came along the last 10 years. What do you see kind of staying the same, evolving? What are your thoughts on that conversation? Um, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start at the 30,000 foot level and move it down. Um, and I just had this call with one of the, the senior leaders in the biggest, one of our big industry uh, associations the other day. Um, real estate today, because of the disruption and chaos, has an opportunity to reshape and continue to shape the outcomes of the communities in which we all live and operate and work in. We have sometimes become so asset-centric and we have forgotten about the envelope you just talked about outside of that, um, that parameter, but we could dictate the outcomes far better than today. We seem to be more concerned about protecting you know, depreciation schedules or tax breaks. And sometimes we forget about that other side of the envelope you just talked about. Um, so I would love to see, you know, like, um, it, you know, uh, a, a more integration of community. As an example, maybe, at, you know, at uh, Steve Van Amberg, you know, at one of his buildings, you know, we can have a 5K run starting there and ending there. You know, we can, we can do things with our community and our space in a better way to integrate to that. I don't think that people want to have their employees have to go leave the building necessarily to go get food, to get a rest, you know, to get lunch. You know, how does that accommodate? Um, how close are daycare centers that could be done there for the women and people who work there that want to leave their child someplace? How are we accommodating that? Those are external, but they, they're adjacencies. So how do we deal with adjacencies from a programmatic perspective and a facility perspective and um, tr hiking trails, biking trails, walking trails, restaurants, healthcare, uh, things that we can integrate together and link it together as a way of shaping a great positive outcome for a community. Um, and I think we should do more of that. I think buildings could be really productive for a community if we integrated them less as a building and more of an asset of the community. Any other questions? Yes, Chris, this is Brian. I was wondering, how do you see the impact with capital gains, you look at 1031s, you look at changes in the estate law, change. how do you see that impacting commercial real estate transactions? Um, yes. Basically, it impacts the older guys here. Well, the carried interest would be something that impacts a lot of people who have promotes sitting around you know, doing that. Um, I don't think that that's going to happen this year. Uh, right. I don't think that's gonna be an issue. I, I do think that changes in the tax rate will occur uh, I think that we'll see a tax bill coming forward that will have that. I think it has a, a little bit of a chilling effect, but at the end of the day, um, uh, when you look at the alternatives to where you can put money for investing, then where do you put it? You wanna put it in the stock market that's overvalued today? You know, do you put it in oil and gas? Where, where do you put it, right? And so I think real estate will continue to be a viable 
but it'll be used more like, remember back in the 80s when they had a, the historic rehab initiative, you know, went on there and it was a great rebuilding, rebirth of the cities. And I think the same thing can happen here. Uh, I just think there'll be a restructuring, but I don't think real estate, I think real estate's clearly here to, to stay. I think it's gonna be a viable, growing, active enterprise, but we have to shape the outcome. Don't let the outcome shape us. Um, because if we don't take a hold, all the way across the board, at your, at your city level, your county level, your state level, and the federal level, then they're gonna, they're gonna darn well tell us what we're gonna do, and that's not good. Um, but in terms of your business, I think that the GSEs will kind of stay the way they are. I don't think they're gonna be privatized. Um, I think they'll be federal financing and multifamily continue to be. I think the whole focus will be on affordable housing. I think you'll see a lot of those initiatives. Workforce housing, I think all that'll be in initiatives. Um, I think my biggest concern, Brian, for you would be, um, you know, national rent control. Uh, that that oh, national rent control was discussed in terms of, well, it's okay, but if you have a GSE loan or a loan from an FDI-insured bank, that's a federally, you know, connected enterprise, then you have to have some degree of adherence to a uh, eviction moratoriums or rent control or some other factor like that. And there have been discussions where housing is going to become declared a right. And when you become declared a right, that has another impact as well. So there's a lot of juggling around here. Not that these are going to happen or will occur, but I want, but they, when they're out on the table being discussed by people in, openly, um, I think that that is something that, that we always have to be careful of. So we have to take leadership and get, let's not follow, let's take a lead. You know, Trek should be doing that. You know, Trek, you know, Linda's on the call here. We know Trek needs to be really aggressive about making sure that we, we have a seat at the table, you know, and these kind of things. So yours is more national, um, but I, uh, I, I, I'm so bullish. Multifamily is, is, is where it's going to be. And single family rentals, another big place it's going to be. I got to agree with you, Chris. Got to agree with you. Okay. <laughs> and and what, I, what, what I'm hoping for is that, uh, uh, that Brian O'Boyle will become the, the massive sponsor of Trek for the next 10 years, all the money he's making. Um, sure. Thank you very much. Great for idea. That. I will tell you, Chris, we are taking a lead on that, those conversations. Uh, okay. Definitely at the city and That's state right. you level. Need a, you, so, need double, uh, you need double Brian's dues on this one. Yeah. Okay, I will do that. Um, and, you know, I, we learned from the best when we learned from you a few years ago. So I appreciate that, Chris. All right. Thank you, Linda. All right, well, we're at 9.30. My first move when I get off the call is I'm gonna book a rave concert in one of the lobbies of my buildings. All are invited. Um, Chris, I appreciate it. Jeff, very much appreciate it. Really good information. Thank you all for being on the call. And uh, we'll see you in a month. That's all for today. I'd like to thank Jeff Ellerman and Christopher Lee for joining our latest CRE Executive Roundtable. Make sure you subscribe to TrackCast wherever you get your podcasts and follow Trek on social media. Until next time, I'm Bill San Antonio. Thanks for listening.